Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. Um, today, we're going to talk about internal transitions as well as breaking into product management. And I'm really excited because I have with me, who is a Kellogg alum and a product manager at LinkedIn. I had the good fortune of knowing Shavi for a few years now, back when we both were consultants back in the day. But I'm excited because uh, she's going to talk a little bit about her journey into product management, as well as how she was able to do it within the confines of her own organization and how that transition came about. And she's also going to share a little bit about how she is up to really passing along that insight and knowledge that she's learned from breaking into product management. She is a prolific sharer of content on LinkedIn, and, and I'm excited to have her kind of talk about that. Shivi, first off, thank you so much for joining. I always love starting with a warm-up question. So my warm-up question for you is, what is a book that has had an impact on your life? Yeah, that's a great question. And thank you so much, Al, for inviting me uh, to speak here today and my pressure to share any tips and advice and my journey with you all. So a book that has impacted my life, actually, I think there are a lot of them. But most recently, last year, I read this book called Playing Big by Tara Moore, who's a um, leadership coach. I really like her way of using coach coaching as an approach to help women in particular to speak up create and lead. What that book really um, inspired me is this notion of separating our inner voice into inner critic and inner mentor. So a lot of us, many times we probably face imposter syndrome, this inner chatter that's telling us that we're not worth it, we're not good enough, this and that. A lot of times that voice actually hinders us from achieving more or playing bigger. So I really like how she was able to classify and label that as the inner critic some of the patterns and the narratives that this critic is singing to you and shouting at you, trying to protect you from any kind of uh, embarrassment or any risk. But as a result, it's actually hurting you from leaving to your fullest. So I like how she counteracted with an inner mentor figure, which is also a softer inner voice that comes with wisdom and a lot of calmness. But a lot of times we we tend to let a lot of other distraction distract us from listening to that true voice the inner mentor um, is telling us. So I really like this almost like yin and yang, different side of you playing in your head. And her book lay out quite a bit of storytelling as well as a, like pretty concrete advice on how to how to tame your inner critic and then really respect um, your inner mentor in order to play bigger. So I think it's a pretty pretty phenomenal book in the way how it shifts a lot of my thinking. Thank you for sharing that. And it sounds like a, a great book. We'll make sure you put it in the show notes. The thing that I really like about that is what you just did is a really good way to start really dig drilling in and naming things and better, better understand those thoughts and those feelings and what they are and figuring out, as you said, how to maybe bring more of them to life and, and maybe how to quiet some of them in certain times. And the other thing I was just going to say for our listeners is that uh, we had the privilege of having Dr. Lisa Orbe Austin on a few episodes ago, episode 103, to talk about imposter syndrome. So if you're 
wanting to dig into that, we'll make sure we put that in the show notes. Okay, so let's dig in and let's start. As I mentioned earlier, you are a Kellogg alum and would love to know what were you doing before business school and why did you choose to get an MBA in the first place? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I started my first job as a strategy and IT consultant. I worked at Accenture at the time in Hong Kong and Sydney office. So I help companies, mostly retailers and telecommunication companies, build out their digital transformation, whether it's in the e-commerce setting or like transform their sales process through CRM integrations. I am officially, I was a consultant at, during the day, but at night I would work with friends. We were entrepreneurs at heart. So we started like our own e-commerce site, trying to sell some different type of little products and curated arts crafted stuff to to consumers in the East East Asia. So throughout that entire process, both the consulting side as well as the sort of entrepreneurial venture, I really noticed that a lot of my education in my undergrad is very focusing on looking things from the business lens. But a lot of times when we are trying to build product or sell things or building an initiative, a, a healthier way is to looking at lens solving lands for the user center approach. And so at the time, I feel like it was a good, like about three years into my career, I thought it was a good time to get re-educated and familiarize myself with the latest thinking around human center design. And so I started researching the various MBA programs. And at Kellogg, there's this joint degree program between a Northwestern Engineering School as well as Kellogg. So I thought that was one stone kills two birds. And it's, it's such a good leverage and to learn about design, but also not forgetting my roots in business. So yeah, that's where I came about joining a due degree program at Kellogg. And it's been a fun ride since. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. And I can totally see how all of those elements really have come to life, just knowing you and your career journey. And speaking about that, that career journey, uh, where we were able to engage a little bit was in our time at Deloitte is management consultants. And I would just be curious, just, I always love this, asking this question to other, as I like to call them, retired consultants, but what did you learn from your time working in management consulting? What did you gain from that experience or, or what do you take with you as some of those important lessons learned? Yeah, definitely. Funny enough, when I was an undergrad, management consulting was definitely like my dream job. I worked so hard. I practiced probably like 100 cases, give or take, over my senior year in order to get into a consulting firm. By the time I left consulting, I realized that it's time for a graduation and I, I'm looking for a different type of work. We can talk about it later. But some of the most important lessons I think consulting, especially consulting as an early career, have re really given me, I think one is this notion of like narrative building or uh, ability to take really complex business problems and synthesize it into very concrete, crisp message, be able to put them on a slide, visualize it, tell a story around it, and building an overall narrative around it. I feel like this is one of the most important skills that I learned. And it's going to only get more and more important as you go into corporate world, trying to navigate your career. So I think consulting give me, really give me that exposure, both observing how leaders do it, as well as diving in and helping the leaders shaping those storytelling and doing it myself, driving a lot of the storytelling. I think the second aspect of consulting that has been really valuable is to be able to drive cross-functional alignment. Something uh, unique about consulting is that we coming in as an external advisor 
a lot of us might or might not know the industry that well. So you're going into someone to basically telling people what they need to do about their business. So a lot of times I feel like we have to learn really fast. We have to be a quick listener to understand what the other sides are talking about, translating it to like real issues, and then sit down, uh, come up with this nice narrative to be able to really get buy-in and alignment from different cross-functional. It's not an easy skill. I'm really glad that early in my career, I got this exposure into different aspects of organizations, inner workings, into how humans react to outside people coming in, giving them advice, and how do we then position it as a value-added partners. I think all of that, it's a lot of just an arsenal of like soft skills that will eventually be really important as we move up our career ladder into more senior positions or handling more complex problems. I think a contrary to starting an industry where you get a probably pigeonholing into very specific problems or specific functional areas, I think consulting really give us this diverse experience that's very grounded in a lot of this uh, type of advanced soft skills that we observe and learn on the job and something that I appreciate. Thank you for sharing that. I think I can relate to all of those. And I can also, knowing what I know about product management, can certainly see how some of those skills really come up now as a product manager for you. With that, at you know, what point did this opportunity to work at LinkedIn come about? Talk to me about maybe your transition from being a you know, management consultant and, and being able to do all these things as you talked about and being able to build these skills in terms of narrative building and cross-functional alignment uh, to an opportunity to work you know, at LinkedIn. How did that transition happen? Yeah, that's a really good question. Actually, towards the end of my time working as a consultant, I came to a realization that I didn't really enjoy just doing beautiful PowerPoint slide and the narrative building aspect. I really crave for sort of an end-to-end ownership from both the concept, inception of a concept, all the way to like delivery and then measuring the impact. So towards the end, I was actually actively looking for outside opportunities, especially joining tech and bringing concept and ideas to life. So at the time, actually, uh, funny enough, I feel like I was facing a, I think identity crisis is a good way to think about it because I remember it was roughly around a four to six months uh, kind of transition or search journey where I started looking outside to look for different opportunities. I started out wanting to look for product management roles, but was quite bluntly actually rejected because uh, people were saying that, yes, you have worked in digital consultancies, you have shipped some variations of prototypes, but I was never sticking around till I see it to full life and able to like measure the impact that those products or prototypes was able to. So for a lot of product companies or product roles, I don't consider it. Uh, fit enough because of this uh, lack of like delivery and end-to-end experience. And then I started to look around like strategy roles and analytic roles. But because the last couple of years in consulting, I've been mostly focusing on the IT and digital side. So a lot of the models that I built was considered not like analytically rigorous enough. So for example, I might have used Excel to build some business models, but a lot of the modern um, tech companies, I think, look for SQL skills at the time I didn't have. So for about, I, I think, two or three months, I was really in this, like, I'm not good enough for a product role. I'm not good enough for a strategy role. So what else is for me? So I really 
I started to like doing more networking with friends who transition outside of consulting into tech and just asking their advice and then also reflecting inwards to like, where is my unique niche? I also encourage people to think of any job that you look for. It's not necessarily like an end destination that you're going to. So at the time I knew that eventually I wanted to get closer into product, but right now I have this barrier. So what do I need to do in order to get closer to product? So after a series of reflection and talking to friends uh, who have made similar transition, I realized that my unique skill set is that I involve in a lot of digital transformation, which means that I work quite closely uh, with engineers. I do a lot of process work. So what I need is a team that values my consulting experience, which is not always uh, the case in Silicon Valley when it comes to building product, because consulting comes, sometimes comes with the sort of stereotypes of talks a lot, but not necessarily walk the talk. So I need to look for a team that kind of values that experience, that ability to drive operational excellence, driving cross-functional alignment, like a lot of the stuff that we touch upon. So what ended up happening was one of my former colleague actually transitioned to a similar team at LinkedIn. So through Coffee Chat, I was able to identify a team at LinkedIn. So at the time, about three, four years ago now, LinkedIn was actually undergoing a very major transformation internally to unify our go-to-market from selling in five different line of business to a one unified or selling approach. And then we're also upgrading a bunch of our processes and tools in order to keep up with this digital transformation. So it looks like a great fit. It gives me opportunity to work with design, with engineering, and still pretty much value the consulting aspect of being able to define processes and working with internal teams. And so the interview actually came about really fast and it moves really smooth because of this right fit. So I would say I struggled for four to six months during that transition. But this whole LinkedIn opportunity came about very quickly. I was able to land an offer within two weeks of interview to finalize the, uh, the offer. Yeah, so that was how it came about. Thank you for sharing that background. And just as a follow-up to that, I would be just curious because I know this comes up a lot when I talk to people who are trying to make career transitions. The point you just made about wanting to do a specific role having good insight into what you thought was going to make you a great fit for it, doing your homework in terms of putting all the right things in your resume, having all the great stories, but then just hearing back, oh, this is really great, but sorry, we don't think you have the relevant experience either because we need you to have something else. Or in some cases, just because we have a lot of other candidates who do have, we think have other relevant experience. And it's not that we don't think you can do it. We just have other candidates who can. And I'm just curious, what was that like to go through that feedback and get that feedback and then eventually perhaps rethink how you wanted to go and attack and look for a new opportunity, even if it wasn't necessarily the thing that you had wanted in the first place? How did you navigate that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think a lot of it, there's a couple variables in my opinion, and I'm not necessarily saying my path is definitely the best path, but I think the things that someone who's considering transitioning their career could consider are First, what is your time horizon? Are you looking for a quick change within, let's say, six months? Or are you, do you have the patience to allow for a little longer, let's say, nine to 12 months or sometimes even two years in a lot of product management roles? If you have that kind of patience, then you might not need this interim step to going into eventually to your, to your dream role. 
But a lot of times it also depends on how far away you are from the dream role, right? If you're able to quickly validate that outside did have this perception of you after interviewing for a couple companies, then you need to reset your expectation to, oh, maybe I need to take like an interim position in order to get to the final. Or the other way around was to think about the size of the company. So at the time, I didn't have the risk appetite to going into a smaller company. So I didn't really explore that route. But I can tell you a lot of consultants went into product management right away if they were joining like an early stage, like series seed A or B to become their first or second product manager. Because in those companies, being a consultant and being able to be the jack of all trades and just add value in various dimensions is actually pretty valuable as long as you're willing to roll up your sleeves and do the dirty work. But for, for my case, I think at the time, I, I really value working for a more mature tech company, learning from best practices. So to some extent, like getting into tech was like even more important than doing like product management. So then it sets a different set of competition and the bar is just a lot higher and with different set of expectation because the roles are more specialized. They, you have this catch 22 problem, right? Like when you don't have the title, how do you get that job? So yeah, so that was some of my trade-offs. And at the time I was also hoping that I could leave in a pretty short period of time because with consulting, I'm sure anyone who we're in that position, know that it depends on the project that you're on. So sometimes the schedule can get very intense. It could be very disruptive to your job search cycle. So at the time, I actually was rolling off a very intense project and I purposely find a more reasonably working hour work-life balance project such that I have the time to look. And that project was only four months long. So I had this internal timeline that I wanted it to happen within the set time frame. So there's just a lot of trade-offs and decisions that you have to make to your question now, like for career pivoters, especially mid-career pivoters, I think a lot of times you need to know what you need to lay out clearly, what are the factors in play that you need to make trade-off decisions. And then the, the sooner you make peace with those, the sooner you will have a very clear sense of direction where you need to go. And the sooner you will be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Thank you for sharing that. And I have talked to many a consultant who can appreciate what you just said in terms of you only have a short window based off a project to really hone in and make that transition. And I've heard many stories of people hiding out so they could take calls in the middle of the day for informational interviews or regular interviews and all those, all those you know, types of things. And so I can definitely relate to that. And I think you're absolutely right. I'm often reminded when it comes to these things of Carol Dweck and the growth mindset of perhaps it's not meant to be right now. And that could be right now, but it doesn't have to mean forever. And to the point that you made, the thing that you first wanted wasn't going to happen right this instant, but clearly it did eventually. And so it was just being open to understanding that there were other variables that you could lean on in order to find another career opportunity in the short term, but still keep your uh, abilities and opportunities open for something in the long term. So. You make the move and you're certainly in LinkedIn and you're, you're doing some product management. And so talk to me a little bit about what that was like and what did you realize you enjoyed about it or what did you really like about it, particularly within the context of doing product management um, internally within a tech company versus some of the things you were doing at a consulting firm? Yeah, it's really funny because I think 
for any of the people out there considering transitioning their career, I believe my experience is not that unique to me. So I actually had the hunch of I like this type of work, like building products when I was doing entrepreneurial venture before I even went to Kellogg. I told you a little bit about building that e-commerce site. But at the time, product management was such a new subject, right? Like in, in Hong Kong and Sydney, it was not really caught that way. So I didn't know what it was. And I and because I had such a like a business background, I never really learned how to code. I wasn't confident enough that I could do product management and working with engineering and stuff. So throughout my time at Kellogg, I actually got a couple of PM offers, but I was really debated between going into strategy, which I was very good at building slides and everyone praised me for it versus going into something that's working potentially in very technical things. And I wasn't sure if I would excel in those areas. So I had a lot of pre conceived notions of things that wasn't really grounded in truth. And it was more like my inner critic yelling at me and giving me all this negative chatters. So I think that stopped me from pursuing PM for a long time, actually. And I ended up deciding to go back to consulting because I thought I could double down on strategy side, which turned out that I really enjoy being hands-on and building stuff. So when I joined LinkedIn, we started out working with actually a good team of like engineers and one designers, we were configuring sales tools. So it's an internal focus PM role. Through that role, because I joined it from the get-go, from like the inception of the, the project. So I still have a quite a bit of room to actually define the problem scope, um, sitting, shadowing our sales users on their day-to-day, seeing how they, you know, take calls, manage their leads, converting them to offers, understanding that sort of whole B2B sell cycle and the renewal cycle. And then we sell different type of product to our customer. LinkedIn has different product and target different customer. So like just seeing how diverse the business work and like the different aspect of it makes me feel like I was just such a sponge, like absorbing so much information. So yes, day to day, I work more like an internal tools PM, but because of the experience to be able to interview so many sales users sitting at different lines, learning about how SaaS business work. And because we have four, five different line of business and each line is doing things differently. (laughs) So it it almost feels like I work for five different SaaS company uh, as a consultant. So in many ways, I feel like I was learning a lot about the B2B go to market. And then eventually um, I came to the realization that I didn't want to just build product for a small set of user. And internal, when you, when it comes to building internal tools, sometimes things move pretty slow. The requirement collection process also is pretty different from like building an external product because a lot of times it's not really grounded in usability and delightful. It's more on what business needs. If we want to forecast things this way, here's one, two, three, four, five that you need to implement. So a lot of times I feel like I'm turning into more and more an excellent like an exceptional executor that I take orders from someone and then I figure out how to make it work. And then I start to miss the aspect of working with ambiguity and really defining that problem space. And so towards, I I guess like right around a year and a half, a year into the LinkedIn role, I uh, realized that I wanted to make it a formal transition into product. So that's when I start to network a little bit more with other PMs at LinkedIn and try to figure out what that process is like. Yeah. And on that notion of the internal transition, can you talk a little bit more about that? I know, I think networking obviously is a huge component of it, 
But could you share a little bit more insight into very tactically, you know, how that worked or how that looked like? Yeah, I know it's a, it's actually a very um, gray area. I also think that the caveat I want to say is that I think at a smaller company, internal transition is much easier than a large, like big tech company because the business is so much larger. And also people can hire uh, outside people who have the exact qualification that we're looking for in order to fill that role. Some of the best practices I want to share here are more geared towards a large, uh, big company and how you navigate some of that intricacies. I think first for me, I started with like basically talking to a lot of people, networking, like people who were part of Manage and then together their insight, both on their day-to-day like and like the problem that they're solving and any advice. Uh, they have for me. And then very interestingly, one of them, so initially when I reached out and network with people, I thought, again, this is another mistake that I, a common mistake I think a lot of people are going to face is that you try to find like leaders or people who are higher up and trying to think, see if they could help me to make some transition early on. I think that's the wrong approach. Basically, one of the leader was telling me, hey, you should really talk to PMs who have made similar transition in the past, whether it's within LinkedIn, ideally, or they have transitioned like from a non-product background into a product background and then eventually into LinkedIn. I think that advice was really spot on. And so I just started to use our product to the maximum extent. So I start to go into LinkedIn, look for product manager, filter by LinkedIn, and I look at each one of their profile we don't have that many product managers in Ellington to start with. So a lot of them, I can very quickly identify who was within different role prior to becoming a PM Ellington. So then I would, I think I identify a list of probably a good like 15, 20. I talked to probably 10 of them over the course of a, a few months. And then LinkedIn also has a pretty unique chance for process. And again, it might be different. Uh, by company and transitioning into product has a very unique and specific process. And so be able to be acquainted with that process, understand the ins and outs, who's the sponsor of that process, who's running the show day to day, attending those info sessions to understand that whole process, how to navigate it. I think that's something to be aware as well for, for big company. A lot of non-product transition though, I don't think have a formalized process. So it's probably a lot more networking trying to find an opportunity to help the hiring team on the job so that you basically turn the hiring manager into your mentor and then giving you this on-the-job ability to do some side project, you allocate 20% of your bandwidth. A lot of times you ended up working for 120% because your old job is so demanding, but try to figure out ways that to do it. And I was able to like basically get like a side project I work on, build a relationship from there try to deliver results, and then eventually your good work will get recognized. And when there's opening, you will be able to seize that opportunity. I think I will end with one final tip is it's good to find a mentor on the job to coach you, but it's also important once you start to deliver a little bit of like results to leverage that mentor to find a sponsor within the org. So usually the sponsor is either skip level or like director or senior director or VP level in an org, those are the people who get actually made the transition happen. Like by reserving the headcount and doing all of that operational stuff. Yeah, it is quite an intricacy process to navigate for internal transfers, but pretty rewarding as well. uh, Because compared to looking externally, 
I think you get to vet if the team or the problem space that you like to work for, would you enjoy working with the team you're going into? Do you admire your manager? A lot of those things you might not picked up during your interview when you were interviewing outside. And especially when you're transitioning into a new career domain, I think transfer internally is not only effective, but also just speed up the ramp time because you have so much more context. So you ended up spending more time building your craftsmanship than spending time navigating, I don't know, logistics or other operations, other ad hoc stuff. So I do recommending this path for someone who's considering like switching job functions. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. I think you highlighted a number of things that I think are really valuable to making a career switch. I absolutely agree with you that these are uh, your mileage may vary, and I do think at smaller companies, it, it's a little bit different, particularly because I would even argue that in some cases, internal career transitions aren't even a name for something there because you know, things could just change so much that it just is, right? You just are doing a new thing. But in larger companies, it is something that is a little bit more of a process, but to your point, can yield some great outcomes as well in terms of finding a new opportunity without having to look for a new job externally or, or being able to stay at a company that you really you know, enjoy. And so maybe we could just walk me through maybe just some best practices for creating opportunities for internal transitions. What would some of those pieces of advice you might give if you do, if you are someone who's listening, who does really like their company, wants to stay, but wants to sw stay within their company and, and move to maybe a new team or a new org or a new role? Yeah, definitely. I think the starting point, obviously, depending on what role that they wanted to move to, let's say if they are moving from one sales team to another, like functionally, it's pretty similar. I think they can start with internal job boards and knowing who the hiring manager is and then start reaching out and having those coffee. That process is pretty straightforward. But let's say if they are considering switching functions from, let's say, sales to marketing or uh, customer success to product, then, you know, it might be a little bit more involved. In that case, I see people look up folks who have done similar transition in the past or people like more junior folks on the team that they're interested in and start grabbing coffee chests to understand a little bit more of the lay of the land before they talk to someone, let's say at a group or people manager position that could potentially help them, you know, carve out a, a space where they can do some side projects to validate the fit on both sides, right? Whether you like that new space or not, the new team, and getting them a chance to see how good you are. So I think a lot of it, it comes from just like relationship building, being patient with the process, and then working through it. One thing about internal transfer, I do wanted to say that don't put all your eggs in one basket. So even when I was looking for internal transfer, if you knew that certain direction um, is the right direction you want to go. So in my case is going into product management, managing external user-facing product, then you can look both inside as well as outside. And if anything, the experience that you earn helping out your prospect team internally could make you a more ideal candidate outside as well. So that you can, you're double insured for an accelerating this transition and not just pigeonholing yourself into one opportunity. I think that's all great advice. And I think that's really important to keep in mind if you're someone who is thinking about an internal transition. So thank you for sharing that. Okay. So I think those are great best practices, but one of the other things I want to talk to you about is something else that is related to your role as a product manager, but also 
more to your own kind of professional development or thought leadership or whatever you want to call it. And I'm on LinkedIn all the time and I see you're on LinkedIn all the time, not just because you work there, but because you're sharing knowledge and insights. And so you publish and share a lot of content in LinkedIn. And I think you've also really done a couple different types of experiments. So could you talk to me a little bit more just about some of these things, what you're doing, why you're doing them, and just any learnings you've had so far? Yeah, definitely. Happy to share. Yeah, I started to wanted to create more content, I think, since June this year. So some of the motivation include first, our company is trying to emphasize on helping to elevate creators. So I thought it would be a really cool thing to, you know, learn how to become one myself so that such that I gain empathy to growing my audience. But also when I think about what I want to do in the future and down the road, what would be a good career modes to build is to grow an audience. So the motivation is pretty clear. So I started out in June. I positioned it as a MVP, building a product, so a pilot for 30 days. I made it public and tell everybody I'm going to post one thing a day for 30 days. So that first iteration of the experiment was any topic that I thought about posting. It was a fun thing that I started learning a little bit about how LinkedIn works. From an absolute number perspective, though, I didn't really grow that much following, but it was still a good thing to validate. First, Firstly, am I comfortable posting content on LinkedIn? Am I comfortable creating content every day? Is that the right cadence? So basically more of a self-validation versus checking in with external audience. But I've also very soon noticed that if I post a wide range of topics, it's probably not going to land well. So my second post, I started a finding a niche. And at the time, one of my friend, Melody, who's also a PM in Coursera, she reached out and say, hey, I wanted to learn how to write more stuff. So can we partner and build something together? So the second series, we focus on a very common problem, how to improve your personal productivity. So for 30 days, we share each day, Monday through Friday, we share a concept pair with a graph, uh, a visual that we think are very catchy that we're trying to learn how to iterate from there. So that was a really good experiment in the sense of first helping me to refine a lot of the copywriting, just the technical of like how you write posts or engaging on LinkedIn, but also what are some of the concepts that people like? Towards the end of that um, series, I would say overall, we had over 100,000 views combined. Those are not unique views. And then over 20K interaction. So quite a bit of hypes. And actually four companies and organizations reached out and asked me if I could help them to run a workshop on productivity. So overall, it's a very exciting, very interesting experiment. And I have a, a post that summarized all of my learnings and I'm happy to share. Al, you can include it in the show notes as well for folks who are interested. But I think I would just say that obviously the third series or third experiment that I'm running is transitioning into PM, which targeted career pivoters wanted to move into PM. It's a very niche and it's by far the most successful uh, series of the three. It's getting quite a bit of traction, more than 3,000 followers game in less than a month. So it's a topic probably have a lot of interest and demand. So a couple of the things that I learned, I think is content creation just resembles so much of product management and product development. If you think about product market fit, here I'm looking for content audience fit, both in terms of what do I have credibility to talk about 
and then whether that content has an audience, like where there's demand. I also see every post that I put out is basically like an A-B test that I do. So it's very fast within, usually right now, I within an hour, I will know if a post is doing well or not. And I can predict its trajectory for the rest of the day. And most of the LinkedIn posts don't, don't go beyond like a day or two. So right now, just forming that sense of like very rapid iteration, rapid feedback loop. And yeah, and then last but not least, I also do a lot of market research in the sense of I look at other influencers, what they talk about, the style that they use, and save good posts from them and see how I can reference their style to create my own. So far, it's been a very, I think it's been a very fun kind of learning and iterating process to find my voice. So I've been really enjoying it. Thank you for sharing that. And it's great to see what you're learning, how you're iterating, but also it's not surprising to me that what you're putting out there is resonating. This is breaking into product management clearly is a hot topic, so it doesn't surprise me, but it's so great that it also in many ways is helping you almost build some additional product management skills in the process. So Shivi, thank you so much for joining today. People and listeners want to follow along or want to engage with you. Where can they find you? Yeah, obviously the answer is follow me on LinkedIn. So every Monday to Friday, I share tips um, and best practices about products, career. I intended to do for at least the remainder of the year. I've been really enjoying posting daily during the work week. So follow me there for our daily bite-sized insight. And yeah, drop me a note if you have any question, feedback on my content. Uh, I would love to connect. Hi, everyone. LD here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.